This is Colossus, and you're listening to The High Regard Show. Hey everybody, I'm Tom. And I'm Nikki. And this is The High Regard Show. In which we talk about things we hold in high regard. Very high. High above Harlem. Way up on the third floor. Moving on up. Oh, don't get better than that. Nope, sir. The things we do for you listeners. Press buttons like a sausage-fingered freak. We don't listen to Tom talk enough. Oh, please. I got a hot mic here. And take three. (laughs) (laughs) It's a new studio. We still have some growing pains. I would say welcome back, everybody, but we've been doing this now for three takes already. (laughs) So it's not really so much welcome back. It's already... I'm already... Are you sick of us yet as we are of each other at this point in time because... Tom's about to blow, everyone, just so you know. I refuse to put that much emotion into anything today. It's just not going to (laughs) happen. Well, welcome to the High Regard Show. We've been gone a little while. Did you notice? I think people noticed because I could tell on our Facebook stats how they went from, (laughs) you know, like lots of Facebook stats to no Facebook stats. That's the exact sound that the Facebook app made when I clicked on it today, but that's all right. Well, you know what? We needed a hiatus. Every show does it. And we were going for, you know, two solid years, give or take a couple shows here and there. But we went for two solid years without having like an extended break. And I feel like we definitely need another extended break after because during this hiatus, we were not idle in any shape, way, shape or form. No. Aside from the health issues, we also moved studios, which means we also moved apartments as well, (laughs) which is something that's so easy for somebody who just weebles like a wobble but falls down on top of it. (laughs) It's true. It's true. We moved on up to the east side. The far east. The far, far far east side. As far east as you could be and still be in Manhattan. Actually, we can go one block over to be further on the island that we're on because we are now on Roosevelt Island. Which has a really unique history, which we are obsessed with. It was known as Welfare Island, which is kind of fitting after the move, (laughs) after moving costs. But it was also known as Lunatic Island because it housed a very infamous insane asylum. True. And that's the insane asylum that Nellie buys stories were based yes yes that i think was like loosely you know american horror story people might understand um you know the asylum season like it was kind of inspired by paid homage to that yeah so you figure like you know like you know 10 days in an asylum for her and she came out and you know wrote a best-selling or had a best-selling article yeah it was like yeah i think it it turned into a book book, i think it turned into a book yeah for us it's been almost 10 days here and i feel like we don't have anything that we can possibly use because we spend most of our time staring out the windows at boats going by (laughs) we do we do we do have a river view and we see we get to see some boats and the first thing that the dog got to bark at was a big old boat that went by she jumped up on the bed looked out the window and saw a boat go by and she was like Yes, and now apparently it's us that she decides to bark at out of the blue for no reason whatsoever. The dog hasn't made a peep for 10 days, and the first time we turn the microphones on, she has to like bark at something inside the apartment. And she's staring at me from over, like on the other side of the sofa, just like, I see you. Well, this chubby little bastard, like, seriously, she's, like, on this diet now um, because of her stomach issues that she has. God knows there's enough issues in this house to go around, so the dog has to now climb on board. (laughs) And because of her chubbiness, 
we have to put her on this diet. So I think like part of her aggravation She's very is angry. She does not want to be on a diet. Like, so we've gone from like angry Tom to angry Kona. And um, it's all, it's just fun. It's just so much fun. Yeah. And you know, and Nikki just sits here and she's never angry about anything. Always happy. Always, always pleasant. I am. Thank you. I'm glad that you noticed, Tom. <laughs> it's not smell-o-vision. People aren't going to know, be able to smell the bullshit coming through their speakers. It's Whatever. Uh. Whatever. But yeah, it feels good to be back. We've got a lot of really good shows lined up for you, believe it or not. But we do. Yeah, like we did work. We just didn't do recordings. And, it, you know, part of the thing was is that we kind of wanted to stockpile some guests, too. So when we come on, we, like, have some guests to talk to and stuff like that, as opposed to us just talking about everyday things. And I think Nikki did a very good job at doing that. So, um, Yeah, so know. we got a lot of really, really good stuff coming up in the coming weeks, including I'm going to be talking about a vacation that I took solo Ooh. and learned how to love myself on. Oh, Okay. What? Right, well, it was about being enough. body positive and whatnot. So I did a little experiment, and I'll be talking about that and sharing some wonderful reasons on why you should go to this particular Car- Caribbean island. All right. Well, I feel like people would want to go to any Caribbean island. Right. But, you know. Same. I was like, sign me up, and then I looked to see where the Cayman Islands were because I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, um, why don't you say we get into a You Heard, and then after that, we will dip right into this week's first guest coming back from hiatus. That sounds good to me. All right. You Heard! This week's You Heard comes to us from the old neighborhood. As so many, so, so many You Heards did, I was walking along St. Nicholas Avenue between 155th and 154th, and I heard someone say, get me a chimichanga right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I'm going to follow this guy because that sounds damn good. You know, up to the point where you said guy, I thought for sure it was going to be Tyler Durden. (laughs) Like, I was really thinking, like, it sounds like something ridiculous that she would just blurt out, like... <laughs> out of the blue, her random statements at random moments. <laughs> yes, and I really thought that's what it was going to be, but it wasn't. No, it was just some random guy just walking down the street saying he really wanted a chimichanga, and I was like, you know what? I want a chimichanga, too, now. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't want a chimichanga? Right? And back in Harlem, you could find a chimichanga every other corner. Exactly. Here, not so easy to find a chimichanga on no. Roosevelt Island. No, we haven't had any. Uh, we haven't had Mexican yet here, so I'm looking forward to kind of seeing what's what. Because yes, I got accustomed to my little tacos, my regular tacos and burritos, your enchiladas, which oh you love God, so much. I was obsessed with enchiladas I toward know. the end there. I know you are. I'm glad we're not there anymore because I'm kind of Mexican fooded out. I know you are. That's okay. We replaced it with Italian food, and that's just. What I've been on dinner for, what, every night? Every for night. For the past week? week, we've been eating the same food over and over. So not so okay. bad. Our kitchen's very small. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not allowed in it. You're not allowed in it. <laughs> well, that was this week's You Heard.
So we're back from hiatus, and we have a guest to welcome you all back into the fold of the High Regard show. Yes, we do. Yes, it is a playwright and performer named Liza Jesse Peterson, who wrote The Peculiar Patriot, which is a hilarious, but also scathing indictment of the current prison system. Scathing. Scathing. I love that word. I love that word. Like, actually, just I just had to use it because it's just a very good word, and it's exactly what her play is. It's a one-woman show that's going to be at the National Black Theater in Harlem, this wonderful historic theater in Harlem, and it just shows just how fucked up the system is. And it's she actually had someone who was incarcerated in her life. However, it wasn't until she started working at one of the most infamous prisons in the U.S. prison system. Alcatraz. <laughs> is it it? No, it's not. But it's almost as famous as Alcatraz. It's Rikers, right oh. here in good old New York City, which if anyone who has ever watched any episode of Law & Order will recognize, bunk bunk Rikers. <laughs> <laughs> But it wasn't, you know, it, it was, that didn't inform her play at all. You know, it wasn't inspired by anything that she had. But it's just this really wonderful play, and she's going to tell us all about it. So let's turn the mic over to Liza Jesse Peterson, and let's hear about The Peculiar Patriot. Sounds good. Let's roll that bean footage. Burked beans. I haven't said that in so long. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on to the High Regard Show. We're really excited to catch up with you, um, you know, about the Peculiar Patriot, which is coming back to the National uh, Black Theater in Harlem this summer. You know, what's the difference yes. from its initial run last year? You know, what changed over the course of the last year? Um, not much has, has really changed. Um, it's, you know, of course, as an actor and a performer, you know, the performance has always get a little more um, seasoned. Um, <laughs> and, you know, deeper into character, but the script has not really changed uh, much. You know, we did a, a, some tweaking uh, for the ending, um, so you will see a little bit of a difference at the, the way the play ends. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so just minor tweaks. Okay, great. And that's not, and, and that's pretty normal, right? I mean, like, the show came out yeah. in, in 2003, like, you kind of, it kind of had its roots in 2003, so it's kind of adapted over the course of the last 15 years, right? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, awesome. And, you know, the initial run sold out. What was that like for you? That was so surreal. It was really spectacular. <laughs> you know, I, I I really underestimated how it was going to resonate with the community and with audiences. Um, so performing for a sold out audience was, I mean, invigorating. It was electrifying. It was humbling. Um, I was just so grateful. It was, I was really, really excited. Awesome. Awesome. And can you just give our, our listeners a little bit of, you know, how the play kind of came about and, you know, was it hard to incorporate humor into such a topic that is very polarizing and very hotly debated right now? You know, what, how, how did you kind of work through that? Well, you know, um, humor is something that is um, a staple uh, in, in, you know, black uh, families and communities. And, you know, we're inundated with all kinds of, um, you know, challenges um, as it regards to, you know, trauma and race and, um, you know, economics and just, you know, the things that 
human beings go through. Um, but, you know, I come from a family, as, you know, a lot of, um, you know, African American families where we find humor in some of the darkest, you know, um, things that have occurred in our life. Like you can find humor in a funeral, you know. Um, you know, one minute you're crying over, you know, the, the death of someone, and the next minute you're, you know, you have a, you know, funny or crazy aunt or uncle that says something, and it just turns into a comedy fest. So, you know, I grew up in that tradition of, um, you know, finding comedy in dark places. Right, right. And I, I bet that, you know, kind of does, does does help because, I mean, they, they do say that laughter is the best medicine, you know what I mean? But and it just I just wondered how that was, you know, kind of yeah, helping. Yeah, you know, it's, it's been really part of our survival, you know. I mean, if you go back to, you know, um, you know the, um, the plantation economy, I mean, that's something that we had to do. We had to fast and dance and we had to, you know, find um, coping mechanisms to get us through tragedy. And so that's something that has been... Um, part of our, our tradition, our academic right. tradition. Um, and so this is no different. So it's not a play where I'm laughing at the circumstance, but within the dark circumstance, within the, um, you know, painful circumstance, two best friends, two girlfriends, they're going kiki and, you know, laugh and find some comedy about something that happened in the neighborhood, you know, or right. something that they did when they were, you know, youngsters. So there's always going to be comedy laced throughout, um, uh, you know, any relationship, I find. Because, yeah. I mean, what is life if you can't laugh, you know? Right, right, exactly. And, you know, do you did you base your character, you know, kind of on, on you yourself? You know, did, was no. it? No. No, it's, it's not? Okay. Okay. Um, and so where did the inspiration for, you know, the Betsy character come from? Um, she's um, a composite of many different women that I met um, and had the honor of, um, you know, spending time with who navigated their love between barbed wire. So women who were on the bus rides going to visit their um, their loved ones, young women who I worked with who had uh, family members who were upstate on the correctional facilities. So, you know, I just... Um, you know, as an artist, you know, inspiration comes from life, comes from people, comes from right. walking down the street, you know, that we can absorb um, the essence of of a situation or of a character, of a trait, and go deep and do a deep dive into the creative realm and, um, you know, come up with a character. Right. So, 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 so she came from just my experiences of working with and meeting with and talking with um, other women who have had that experience. And I, too, have had that experience right. of being on the bus and being on the business world floor. So it does have some of uh, my my own personal observations of my experience, but it's not the character that's going to watch. It's far from Lisa Jesse Peterson. Right. Right. And, um, you know, you, you performed this for, you know, in penitentiaries across the country. You know, what was that experience like for you? You know, and what was that experience like for them, to, to, for the inmates to, to see this show for themselves? Um, it was really um, a powerful experience. And it was an experience that really um, changed my life and impacted me deeply. Um, because I was 
performing for um, an audience that is rendered invisible and mm-hmm. disposable. Um, so to bring this play that mirrors a lot of their experiences, um, it was really powerful. Um, and the response was overwhelming. And, um, you know, you have to remember, too, at the time that I was doing the tour, the prison tour, um, it was a time when um, theaters were not embracing my play. So I, too, felt um, a level of invisibility and being ignored in that scene. So here I am taking my play that has been ignored and invisible in the theater world and I was being seen and embraced by um, men and women who were incarcerated. And then I, too, was also seeing them. They felt invisible and ignored and not seen. And I was, so it was, it was a symbiotic relationship that we were both seeing each other and acknowledging and affirming each other in that moment. So they affirmed seeing me as much as I affirmed seeing them. Right, right. Oh, that's wonderful. And, excuse me, and, you know, with this being, you know, with the play being first developed back in 2003, you know, how much more timely does it feel? You know, how much more important does it feel now with this current political climate and, you know, these calls for stiffer prison sentences? Well, you know, what's so um, disheartening about the relevance of the play is that it hasn't, it hasn't changed. The importance of it hasn't changed. It was just as important back in 2003 mm-hmm. as it is now. So mm-hmm. it's so the, the 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 issue of mass incarceration didn't wane. It didn't um, roll back. I mean, there were some efforts to be fair to the Obama administration where um, he was making efforts to um, pull reform mm-hmm. uh, to 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 level. The playing field with um, crack cocaine versus um, powder cocaine convictions and sentencing, um, and to um, commute the sentences of first-time um, nonviolent drug offen- offenders, and to stop or roll back um, uh, the proliferation of federal private prison contracts. So he was making some efforts. Um, and that was in, I think, in, during his second term. So there was a window. <laughs> where there was some movement towards reform, and now we're seeing it, you know, back to where it was, or where it was um, during the, the, the Clinton administration. Um, so we haven't seen much change over, I haven't seen much change over the course right. of 15 years. So it was just as relevant today as it was 2003, right. and that's, that's kind of a sad commentary on the state of mass incarceration <laughs> and the United States being a prison, a prison nation. Right, absolutely. And, you know, but despite that, you know, many governors, including our own Andrew Cuomo right here in New York, you know, wants to restore, you know, wants to take the step to restore voting rights for those who are formerly incarcerated. You know, how important is that, legisla- is that legislation to the population? Oh, that's essential, you know, to have um, your voting rights, you know, because we'll have the same goes it shouldn't be taxation without representation. <laughs> right. So how is it that, so how is it that you say your taxes? to your home, you know, you're released from prison, and just because you're on probation or parole, you're working, you're paying taxes, mm-hmm. but you're not being able to be represented, um, you know, in the political field, in the political realm. 
So that um, feels very, not feels, but it's very unconstitutional. Taxation without representation. I mean, that's like the basic premise of, you know, one of the tenets of our Constitution. (laughs) Exactly. And that's so very important these days, everything that's in the Constitution, right? (laughs) There's Mm -hmm. so many things that we need to not remember about the Constitution, but... (laughs) And, you know, you're going to tour the Peculiar Patriot, um, you know, nationally this fall. When we spoke last year, you know, you were a little bit concerned about how the multimedia show would translate, you know, out onto onto the road. So what sort of challenges, you know, arose in prepping it for that? And, you know, what what are you most excited about to take it out on the road? I'm really excited. Most theaters um, are equipped to handle the uh, multimedia component where it becomes challenging and where probably have to make some um, you know, adjustments, major adjustments is, you know, when I um, visit correctional facilities, which is, mm-hmm. you know, something that I plan to do during the tour, so I won't be able to bring the multimedia component. But um, in the theaters that I have lined up, uh, most theaters have, you know, you, you can do multimedia. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And finally, yeah. you know, as someone who, you know, you worked for two decades in New York City prisons, you know, do you ever think that we are going to see true prison reform in America? And, and what exactly do you think needs to happen? I mean, that's probably a very loaded question. <laughs> yeah, well, there's no single answer. That's a really tough question because it has so many different components to it. So there's yeah. not just, a, oh, if you do this, then that'll be great for prison reform. There's so many layers that, um, you know, um, you know, affect and impact um, the prison industrial complex. But I do think it's going to change. It has to change. Um, and the reason why is because when I think of, you know, my ancestors who were, um, you know, enslaved Africans, mm-hmm. and there was a, a time when none of them thought that there would be anything different. They they couldn't, they had no concept of freedom. They had no concept of what life would be like, you know, off of a plantation, um, right. you know, uh, without being under the brutal whip of, of the oppressor. And so there were enough of, of, you know, consciousness in, in, in the minds of Africans and, um, you know, some progressive abolitionists who said, no, this is not right. So even though they had no idea what it would look like, uh, America would look like without slavery, without a plantation economy, there were people who envisioned something that was more humane, even though there was no template for it, and they created it, and that's where we are today. So I look at mass incarceration the same way. You know, we think about prisons in America, and we can't imagine, um, you know, prison without America, but yes, we can. If if our ancestors could envision um, America without slave economy and slavery, and chat and, 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 pe- and people in bondage, then we can envision the same um, today with, with all of the, uh, you know, technology and, and you know, freedoms that we have. So I don't know what it's going to look like, but I do know that we will have a society that will not be incarcerating its population um, in the way that it is now. And I think part of the, one of the steps that definitely has to be eradicated is the cash bail system. We have to get rid of cash bail. You should not be in prison just because you can't afford bail. So it shouldn't be based on, you know, your um, your economic um, right. you know, ability to, to pay, to, to, to pay to be free. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. It was so great catching up with you about the Peculiar Patriot. Oh, thank you. really <laughs> forward to it coming back to Harlem this summer and you know, and we're going to definitely encourage everyone to go out and see it on this national oh, tour. Oh, please do. Are you <laughs> going to come and see it? We are definitely. We're definitely going to come, for sure. Okay. <laughs> so oh, thank you so 
much. <laughs> thank you so thank much. You, thank you, thank you. All right. Okay, bye. you too. Okay, bye. So that was the wonderful Miss Liza. And I just, you know, I can't wait to see the play. I didn't get a chance to see it when it ran at the National Black Theater last September. But it sold out its entire run, and now it's coming back. And it's also going to tour around the country. It's going to go to Boston, Burlington, Vermont, and Cleveland. Or Vermont, Burlington, Vermont. Like Burlington, (laughs) Vermont, and Cleveland. I was like, wait a minute. Burlington Coat Factory and then off to Vermont? That's a pretty big step up. I don't know. Because I've done some shows in the Burlington Coat Factory. and uh, You have? It's Yes. You don't get a... You know, the reception that you always plan on because you never know what you're going to get when you go to Burlington Coat Factory. <laughs> it's more than just coats. Oh, my God. You you are definitely like a patron of Burlington. You've always loved Burlington Coat Factory. I have loved Burlington Coat Factory. But you know what I like more than Burlington Coat Factory? Having a guest on the High Regard Show? No, not being in jail. It depends on the guest. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's like going, man, I wish we didn't have a guest. But... <laughs> Not, not this the case week. this time. No, no, we're good this time. Oh my goodness! And it's not true. We've only had one guest where I was ever like, "Oh God!" And I bet you can't know. You will never know which one. You will never know which one, <laughs> unless you go see my stand-up routine. In which case, it, is, <laughs> it does get mentioned. It does. It does get mentioned in a very, very funny bit. But seriously, I mean, I mean, you know, right now, there's so much wrong. With our country right now. <laughs> you think? that I Yeah, but I feel like, you know, we were going in a direction where there was starting to be like, you know, some hope for prison reform. Mm-hmm. Like, in the, like a few years back, like everybody was talking like, what can we do to like do prison reform? And then like now with, you know, especially with the legalization of marijuana. And, and the decriminalization certain, of it yeah. where it's not legal, right? And people being let out of jail and they're like, you know, their um, permanent records are being expunged of any criminal activity if they're just, you know, minor possession holders or whatever. You know, it, everything seemed to be going in the right direction. And then all of a sudden, all this crap comes out like a whirlwind. And it seems like prison reform is something that always gets thrown on the back burner. Yeah. You know, and it's always kind of like, well, we can wait for that. And it just Because you have like, to take away, you know, abortion rights and you have to take away gay, you know, LGBTQ rights and you have to like focus on other things instead of rea- the real things that do matter. People being treated like animals in prison. Like that's not how it should be. Well, exactly. And I mean, you know, you look at Amnesty International around the world and you know, so many people join Amnesty to try to help, you know, human rights victims around the world that are, like, being false, falsely imprisoned. And then you, you know, come here, and it's kind of like you're looking at, like, these minor offenses, and people are spending six months in jail. Something goes wrong, and then years, it turns into a yeah, year. And then, it, you know, something else goes wrong. And now you're a lifetime criminal because of a, you know, a stupid possession charge or something like that because once you're in, you kind of got your hooks into right exactly and especially if you are you know if you are black or brown like they you just you don't have a chance to just be treated properly and get the right type of you know attorneys and things like that that can help you because the, the system doesn't care because the system is privatized so all they care about is getting you in there for as long as they can so that they can make their money exactly and we've discussed on the show before like you know where we used to live you know, 
last week. <laughs> um, we used to have this neighborhood drug dealer who we would talk to all the time. Mm-hmm. And his situation, and I'm sure we mentioned it on the show before, was that he, growing up when he was very, very young, got arrested for selling pot on the streets, Mm -hmm. had a criminal record, couldn't find a job. What's he going to do now? He's going to have no choice but to come out of jail and sell drugs because it's the only way he's going to be able to make money because you made it impossible for him to now be something, you know, what society deems acceptable. Right. But if he was, you know, Bernie Madoff and he got out of prison or something like that, oh, we can just, oh, you're, you're reformed. You found Christianity. You did this. But, oh, like, yeah. you're, you're, you're a good person. Like, that's not the case for no. so many former inmates. Well, look at Martha Stewart coming out of jail, and she's, like, more popular now than she's ever been hanging out with Snoop Dogg. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's kind of like... This is insane. It's such a double standard. But the prison system, again, is kind of like, what can we make off of you? Right. And the only way that education can be gotten about the subject is through comedy at this point in time. Because there's so much serious shit happening in the world right now. Right. People can't handle it anymore. Like, they don't want to, like, watch the news to find out what's going on because it's not like here's a continuation of this story. It's like, here's a whole new story today about how things are fucked up. Right, exactly, exactly. And that's why, you know, and that's why I think that this play is so popular. I mean, there was a great, great demand for this because when I talked to her back in September when it was at the, when it premiered at the National Black Theater, you know, she said, like, I want to tour this nationally. Like this, I want to take this multimedia show and I want to go on the road because she did a bunch like she did dozens I believe shows inside actual prisons where you know and she does talk about that how you know the prisoners reacted to to seeing this and how thankful they were to kind of see their stories brought to life in this show and you know it just it does raise awareness to people who are like well I'm gonna go to the theater I'm gonna go see a play and wow I'm coming away with this knowledge that Maybe I didn't, maybe it's a headline that I read that I didn't really know too much about or I skimmed over. I do it all the time and I work it, I'm a journalist and I, there are stories that I'm like, I'm going to read the headline. It's like, you know what? I don't have it in me to read the story right now because of, it's just this, the shit pile gets so big and there's only so much that you can emotionally and handle. So I'm sure a lot of other people like look at something like this and you know, just skip kind of over it. And I think this is a really good way of keeping this mainstream and keeping it in their minds to think about when it comes voting time and to really pay attention to what is someone going to do about prison reform. And I think it's really something that she feels that we could see prison reform in her lifetime. And I think that she couldn't have put it any better when she said her ancestors, you know, never thought that they were going to not be slaves. And Look at how that, you know, helped or look at how that turned out. So, I mean, that's a really good thing to think about that maybe there is hope that we could someday get our shit together and make a change and actually reform this horrible system. Yeah, but you understand the only way that, you know, her ancestors are no longer slaves is because there was a revolution. Right, exactly. And we're at a point where there's going to have to be a revolution if there's going to be any change because just we are going in the wrong direction so far that at some point it's going to have to like get to it where people are going to have to just start standing up for themselves and going after the people 
who are causing all the problems. Exactly, who are making these decisions, allowing people to profit off of human life. Yeah, and I love, I love, you know, and I know people might have a problem with it. I don't have any problem with it whatsoever. That if you see somebody on the wrong side of the voting booth in a restaurant just walking up to them and making their lives a hell because they make our lives a hell every single day. Yeah, we're we're going we're coming and getting in your face in a restaurant and you can't eat dinner. You're fucking with life. You are fucking with human life and human decency. Yeah. So, you know, so revolt, let's revolt. Perhaps the revolution is on the way. It is I afoot. Yes, time will tell if that's going to be the case or not, but Again, it's the only way change is going to happen at this point in time. Exactly, exactly. So, in conclusion, Liza Jesse Peterson's The Peculiar Patriot is going to premiere on Wednesday, July 11th and Thursday, July 12th at the National Black Theater in Harlem. And it's going to open on Friday, July 11th with a big gala. And then it's going to run through the month. So, you can... Go to nationalblacktheater.org for info. And as always, just because we're on hiatus doesn't mean that we're not going to still operate the same way. (laughs) We'll give you all the links and all the pertinent info that you need in the show description. All right. That sounds great. So thank you so much, Jesse, for speaking to me again. I absolutely loved catching up with you about the show, and I look forward to coming and seeing it. Yes, Jesse, we will be there. Shall we get into a potsy? We sure can. The Potsy. So where do we even begin with the Potsy, Tom? It's summertime. And And I guess anybody with pots will understand when I say it's summertime, which means the season of the dead. Yeah, you have been. (laughs) And we, you know, we moved within the last week and we moved on like a 95 degree day. Mm -hmm. And it just like this past week has just been a killer because we had to deal with a dog that had no idea what was going on and where she was. So it was like, I need to go out. I need to go out. I'm needed to... Every two every hours. every two hours, she was like, "I need to go explore," and it's like, "Okay, but it's like ninety five degrees out, and none of us want to be out." And dad, when Daddy goes out, it's pretty detrimental on his system for the rest of the day. It's crazy, you know, and it's weird that I, being a person with pots, did not previously know the full understanding of the spoon theory, like how the spoon theory works out. And I'm not. I'm looking forward to you explaining this because I just can't grasp it. All right, so you start off with, let's say, 12 spoons, I believe is what it is, all right? And for different activities, you take away a spoon. Mm -hmm. So, like, let's say if, you know, you wake up, you take a shower, you lose a spoon for that. You take a dog for a walk. You lose, like, eight spoons. You lose, like, maybe three spoons. If you make yourself a dinner and eat it, you lose three spoons. If you do something, like go to a concert or, you know, travel somewhere, you take away four spoons. At the end of the day, if your 12 spoons are gone and you go over that, minus one from tomorrow's 12 spoons. And that gives you an idea 
of what tomorrow's going to be like. Right. Temperature definitely plays into how much exertion comes out of, you know, a person with POTS. So at this point in time, I would say my spoons are gone until December 23rd. <laughs> I think that's when I get my next spoon back at this point in time because it has been brutal. It has. And the, my balance has been insane. My eyesight has been probably amongst the worst it's ever been. And, uh, you know, at this point in time, I just think like so many other people who have this, you just kind of just take a breath and say, fuck it, I give up. Whatever you're going to do, do. I don't care. And on top of it, I have, you know, people that I know, people that I know who will comment on certain things. Ever since, you know, the legalization of marijuana came to our house, mm-hmm. which we are With very, very grateful The medical for. marijuana he's talking about. Yes. Um, I have been sharing a ton of information on Facebook about it because... It's not just for POTS patients. Obviously, there's not a lot of POTS patients in the world. But, you know, and it's not just for people with cancer. Anxiety, depression, not being able to sleep, you know, Mm -hmm. like all these things that just normal everyday people have. You know, it just, here's me trying to say, here's some information on this. You know, I'm not saying it's recreational use go out and get high just to go out and get high it doesn't it's not going to do anything for you except to make you feel goofy and that's going to be good for you right i'm using it for medical reasons i am sharing information the majority of times about medical issues dealing right, yeah. with cannabis and for whatever reason i have people constantly sending people me, yeah people constantly sending me messages like yeah great you could smoke this but then you're gonna get cancer and you know as somebody with something like i have where getting out of bed in the morning takes two hours and it has been taking about right, two yeah. hours to get out of bed in the morning which is why i moved my work computer into my bedroom now because it just makes sense to do it sure, so yeah. i'm not totally fucked for the day I don't care if I get cancer at this point in time because at least if I got cancer I would know alright I got cancer God forbid but and then you know what they would treat me with more marijuana <laughs> that's what they would treat me with so really at the end of the day it's kind of like you know it's, it's the old adage of everybody has a fucking opinion everybody yeah, opinions are like opinion. assholes everybody's got one yep <laughs> And lately, everybody seems to be one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's like, you know, it's like certain things work for certain people. If you have POTS and you're going to try, you know, medical marijuana to see if you can, like, get some of your symptoms better, try it. It might not work for you. But to have somebody come and tell you, here's all the bad things that's going to happen to you possibly down the road where there's no proven no proven right it's about right now it's It's actually happening it's about what's making what may help make you feel even if it's just for a day an hour an afternoon make you feel like yourself again if that's what is down the road then because i've learned through all of you know, these past couple years with your illness, my stuff, like right now is all that matters. 
Exactly. You don't know how long you got. So why are you going to like go and shit on somebody else's life? Exactly. <laughs> That's like, you know, these people who are saying stuff are all the next generation higher than me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the people in my generation and below, they all get it. Like, they're like going, yeah, man, this is the way of the future. Like, they're, you mm-hmm. see it on the news. You can read enough on it right. to say, okay, these are the things that it can definitely help. Again, might not help everybody the same way. Right, sure, but that's just, that's any medication. Of course it is. Everybody's body is different. Yeah. There might be people out there who say, I don't like the smell of it, so I don't want to do it. Take a pill, take a tincture. Yeah, exactly. If you want to stay away from it for moral reasons, stay away from it for moral reasons. But stay the fuck out of my medicine cabinet, man. Right, like, exactly. I don't need you in there. Right, exactly. Like you're sitting there drinking your, you know, 24 pack of Paps Blue Ribbon every goddamn night, and that's okay with you. But like, who? Like, I wouldn't do that. But like, I'm not gonna judge you on it. Exactly. And it's kind of like I went the regular medical route. You know, I tried mineral or whatever it was. Yeah, you and, did everything. You went through five million years worth of tests. And they did nothing for me. Like those medicines did nothing for me. And here's a natural supplement that's doing something for me that I want, that I need to have done so that I can, you know, have a normal life. And, you know, I don't need to be judged for it. Exactly. So if you're listening to the show and you want to send me things, tell me how wrong I am for smoking, just know I'm probably giving you the finger. (laughs) <laughs> like, as I'm reading it. So. And you're giving us fodder for future shows. So, actually, bring it, dick. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Stop emailing me the bullshit about that. You can email me about what you want to see on the show, what we should talk about. But, you know, if you have time to break away out of your day to tell me about, like, how you disagree with my Facebook posts... You should probably go find a fucking hobby for yourself at this point <laughs> That's in time. That's not on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Find it somewhere in a hole somewhere <laughs> where you can just take your time, just keep digging, whatever. Exactly. So so I think that's it for the Potsy right now. I guess, you know, we'll see how things go with the way the summer's rolling right now. But I do think that definitely smoking has been the only thing that gives any relief whatsoever and still staying true to it. I'm not doing it during the day just because I'm trying to stay as right. coherent as possible to get work done and whatnot. But, right. um, you know, that's where we're at. Well, there we go. Yeah. So uh, what do you think? That's it for the potsy? I think that's all I got for the potsy. I think so, yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough, man. And um, all right. Let's play us out. And with the end of the potsy comes the end of our show. But it will be back a lot sooner than last time, for sure. Yes, we will be back next week and the week after that and the week after that and the week after that. Yes. But until we do come back next week, you can learn more about The High Regard Show at highregardshow.com. And you can write to us at highregardshow at gmail.com. I thought for a second you forgot our email address. It's been so long. No, <laughs> I no. saw the little wheels turn and I saw the gerbils moving around I on there. I was like, wait a minute. Did I say the website first or did I say the email address first? Sometimes my brain don't work so good. It's all right. My brain don't work good. But if you want to find us on social media, we will be much more active now on all social media at the High Regard Show. Well, we couldn't be less active than we've been in the last month. So, 
All right, everybody. Again, thank you so much to... Liza. Liza. And, um, and thanks for sticking with us and coming back around while we kind of went on our little unexpected hiatus. But we're recharged and we're ready to rumble. That's it. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Good night.